Hey, everybody. I am excited to be back with another episode of What's on Your Plate. My guest today is Yana. She is of Rhythm and Beats, a local uh, local to the region of Northwest Indiana. She is a pediatric speech and language pathologist and integrative nutrition health coach. I am so excited to have you on and sharing this space with me today. Welcome, Yana. Thank you. I am excited to be here. So I just kind of want to dig right into the the nitty gritty of everything that you are creating in our community. Um, Give us a little bit of background about yourself. I know that you're not originally from this area. Is that right? Correct. So we go way, way back to the very beginning. Um, I, my family and I are from actually from the former Soviet Union. So from the Republic of Georgia, um, if no one, and people don't know where that is. It's on the Black Sea. So um, far away from here, but we immigrated with my family to Cleveland, Ohio, actually when I was four years old. So technically I grew up in the United States. Um, and then I ended up moving to go to graduate school uh, at Columbia in New York City. And that's where I met my husband and spent about 10 years there and then ended up moving to the region here for his job. Um, and so that's how we ended up in Valpo, which I didn't know was on the map until <laughs> he had an interview here. But my parents were in Cleveland and my brother was in Chicago. So it was kind of a nice in-between spot to be in. Um, and so that's how, yeah, that's how we ended up being in this region. Okay, awesome. Well, we're really lucky to have you. I know that we have spoken previously a little bit about how you arrived in this area looking for the things that you needed in your own life and you weren't able to find them. So you just decided to go ahead and create them yourself. Yes. So a few actually a bunch of things. <laughs> I needed a bunch of things. Um, one was I originally had worked for the hospital and had started the pediatric practice there because um, my uh, background is in pediatrics for speech and language pathology. And that's just not something um, that the hospital had. So I worked there for a few years. And then once I kind of developed that program um, professionally, what I was looking for was to create more. So to incorporate um, in the past, in the places that I've worked in other, uh, in New York City, and we also spent a year in Minneapolis, I worked in hospitals and clinics and schools. And so there I always collaborated with other therapists, like occupational, physical therapists, mental health specialists, everyone. And here I just kind of felt very separated and alone. Um, and that's not something that I was able to create there. So uh, my husband actually supported me. I was like, well, instead of complaining, why don't you just do your own thing? So that's what I ended up doing. Um, I ended up starting my own small clinic um, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, But the other piece that I was missing for personally myself was that my husband and I were struggling with getting uh, pregnant. um, And it was just kind of this diagnosis of um, unexplained infertility, which seems, I don't know, in a way it's like, there is no problem, which is a good thing. But in a way it's like, well, if there was a problem, maybe there'd be a way to fix it. And I don't quite, you know, I don't know what to do with this diagnosis. So we tried a few things and um, I decided before going down the road of IUI and IVF and all those things that are very expensive and 
time consuming and emotionally taxing. Um, and also just trying to be more like health conscious. I decided that I was going to become a health coach. There is a program through um, Integrative Institute of Nutrition, which is IIN is short for that, um, that I took. And it's an online year, I think it was a year, year and a half course that I had taken um, and just kind of dove right into, I changed everything and maybe I went a little bit off the deep end. Um, So not to say that if you want to learn about health and nutrition, you have to go that far, but I changed a lot about my lifestyle. So I changed a lot about, you know, anxiety and stress plays a big role in trying infertility and trying to get pregnant and things like that. And that was obviously a huge thing. Um, So learning how to maintain your lifestyle, um, how to do things more mindfully or learning how to breathe or learning how to take, you know, how to do in New York, I had a lot of friends. I had my exercise, my Pilates classes, things like that, that were very consistent. And that was a good core support group for me that kind of helped me when my anxiety was really high. And when I came here, I didn't quite have that. And I couldn't find a Pilates class and I didn't really, I wasn't into the yoga scene quite. So I just didn't really know where to place myself. Um, and so I learned you know, other things like how to meditate, which I'm still working on, not an easy thing to do, Um, how to breathe, how to, you know, I started running and being out more in nature, things like that definitely um, helped the lifestyle piece. And then the nutrition piece, learning what you're putting in your body, um, learning what you're putting on your body, like makeup and lotions and shampoos and all those types of things, learning what you're cooking with, what, you know, types of toxins are in the pots and pans, things that I never thought about reading labels, things that just never even crossed my mind. I never even would have thought that, Hey, this may not be so great for me. And this may be preventing me from me being able to get pregnant. I'm not saying that because I fixed all of these things, I got pregnant. Absolutely not. But I feel like it didn't hurt to contribute to a more healthy lifestyle And I did notice positive things. Like I started, my stomach started to feel better. My headaches went away. I had a lot more energy and brain clarity, things that I never noticed. I actually even had issues with because they were just small. They weren't a big deal. Um, But once they went away, it was fantastic. Um, And so my husband and I got very lucky. And three years later, after this whole deal and becoming a um, health coach, And I didn't really become a health coach. I kind of just, like I said, I did it for myself, but I started to put little tidbits into my patients. I do feeding therapy. So I would tell them about different uh, things that they can do for their kiddos. Like um, some simple examples are cutting out sugar and there's, you know, parents might say, well, I know soda is not good for my kids or um, I don't know, candy is not good for my kids, but there's sugar in um, yogurts in and really like almost anything, even like fruit, obviously, but that's more of a healthy option of sugar. But you think about just, you don't even think about or know about these things. So teaching them kind of how to read labels, think about real, like the food dyes, those types of things that they're putting into their kids' bodies and into their own bodies. Um, and, um, 
now I lost my train of thought. Um, also just giving them, you know, different lifestyle ideas and things that I had started to use for my own self that I noticed the families that were using, they were coming back and saying, Hey, my kiddo has some decreased behaviors, or it maybe didn't make a huge change, but it made some sort of small change. And once they noticed it, they wanted to learn more. And so that's kind of how I integrated the health coaching piece into my therapies. Um, and I still do. And I tried to kind of create a health coaching piece where it's just health, like coaching families. Um, but I feel like, and I don't know if it's just families in general, or maybe in the area where if you don't have that trust, um, I feel like it's very hard to break through. Um, because sometimes maybe it's not considered, um, I don't know what the right word for it is. It maybe it's not considered just kind of, maybe parents don't want to change their, their lifestyle or their approach, or they don't see the benefit to it, I guess. Um, but once these patients come to me and they have trust in me and we're making progress with their kiddos and I kind of throw into bits of like, well, try this and try that. Cause a lot of times it can be extremely overwhelming if you're going to a health coach and they're telling you to do all these things and change all these things about your life. It's very, um, it, you know, like when I started doing it, I walked into the grocery store the first time and I froze and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to buy. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, so just giving, I've noticed little pieces of advice until people start to trust and see change and things like that. And so now I just kind of throw it in, um, into my therapy sessions and try to have the therapist that I work with kind of be on that same more holistic page. Um, and so in short, that's kind of where I've geared my, um, my practice is just a little bit different from that traditional, um, where I tried to incorporate what I do in my life and what I've seen and the changes that have helped me into um, my, the kiddos that I work with and their families. I loved all of that, that you shared. And I have so many questions and so many things I want to comment on. Um, and I think you developing what you wanted from what you didn't already have is key to so many people's uh, progress along the lines of, you know, it's almost like healers, people that need healing, heal themselves and then start to heal other people. It's a similar thing that I feel like you have uh, been working on and are working towards. Um, the health coach part of um, what you, what you partook in, I feel like there's so many different rabbit holes you can go down with that, right? Like so many different things you talked about, you know, not just changing your diet, but changing, you know, what you're actually putting on your body and what you're cooking your food in and all the different ways that you can enhance your own health journey. And then trying to show other people that that's the better way for them to, it can be overwhelming, I feel like. So um, you talked about walking into that grocery store and just like, you know, unsure what to do, what direction mm -hmm. to go. And I think a lot of us feel that way because when you're looking at something as serious as 
infertility when you want to start a family and you're trying to make changes that will ease that process, it can just feel like you're on this never ending hamster wheel of Mm -hmm. going, 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 and never really getting anywhere. Um, How do you address that with the families that you're helping to make them feel like it's actually something that could be achievable as well as sustainable? So not very directly. It has to be, I've found my best approach is kind of more indirectly. So like I had said that I first create a, I have a very small practice, so I know, and that's kind of the intention of it. Um, I know all of my families very well. They all have, um, you know, my numbers, they all reach out to me when they need something. Um, I'm constantly providing them with things to do at home. And now this is for speech therapy or feeding therapy or language therapy. I'm talking about Um, And a lot of times parents will come to me and they'll say, oh, my kid isn't saying this sound or my kiddo has trouble speaking. And then later on, after working with them for months, even though I had asked them in the evaluation, they then come out and tell me, oh, yeah, my kiddo is nine and, you know, only has four foods in their diet. And so I'm like, whoa, let's back up here because I asked you this six months ago and you never Mm -hmm. mentioned it because Mm -hmm. parents have, you know, their priorities of what's most important. Um, and so of course, being able to communicate is a really important piece. And so maybe that food piece isn't quite in their brains to, to mention, Hey, this is also an issue. Um, and so, however, it's a huge thing because food can, and your diet can really affect everything in your life, including behaviors, including language, including processing cognition, you know, everything. Um, and so, uh, so if, and I've tried to do this in the beginning is where I start off saying all these things and bombarding the parents with all this information. I'm like, Oh, that was great. I gave them so much knowledge and they can go off and they can, you know, implement all of this and it gets lost in translation or they get overwhelmed or they're like, what is she talking about? Forget it. We're just going to, you know, we just want, speech therapy. That's all we came for. Why is she telling us all this other stuff? So that's when I started to completely back off. And I, so like I said, I'd just give a little teeny tiny bit and not even in the beginning, in the beginning, I concentrate on what they come for. So like what they asked me for is the therapy that we do. We create a relationship because they come to me every single week. And I talk to the parents. I make sure that I don't just work with the kid and then send the kid off. I talk to the parents every time we talk about what we did. We talk about what they can do at home because generalizing all those skills into the community home school is super, super important. I always say I'm not a miracle worker. I give you strategies and support. And then you, you know, whoever is with the kiddo every day, whichever caregiver or the school, which I'm happy to talk to the educators, those are the ones that are going to implement these strategies into their kids' lives to really make greater strides and improvement. And so then slowly I, I start to say, well, have you tried this or why don't you try this? So it's, it's very small little pieces of information. Sometimes I'll do little handouts of, you know, why is food dye bad for you? How do you check if you, the food that you have at home in your pantry um, has any of these ingredients in it? Or why is, you know, if you look at a label and it has 700 um, 
ingredients in it, why is that not good? Especially if you don't know the names of 90% of them, um, you know, and it's also a fine line of being, you don't want to be judgmental. You don't want to make them feel like they don't know because about six years ago, I had no idea, you know, like I just, I didn't know it was in my cupboards. I just figured I ate mostly healthy and, you know, and that was it. And I didn't think about all the processed foods and how I can make myself even healthier. So not being judgmental, not being critical and just simply like, here's the information. You don't have to change things. You don't have to change things right away. You don't have to change a lot of things, but just information, knowledge, and then you do what you want with it. And a lot of them will eventually come back with, well, you know, that's great. Give me more. And so that's kind of how I get started on that road of change. And then we talk about I have done this before. I don't do it with a lot of patients, um, but even just going into their home, looking through their pantries and like, hey, let's play a fun game of what do you think? Like read this label and read this label and what's a better alternative? And if you don't know, like let's go online and see if we can find a better alternative for like just a simple example is I have um, kids we were working on um, getting more protein and dairy into their diet. And so yogurt. So the kiddo, I asked mom to bring in yogurt and we looked at the label and we read the label and he's like, Oh my gosh, there's so much sugar and corn syrup and this and the other in here. Um, and I said, yeah, but, and he's like, well, I thought yogurt was good for you. So it's interesting that the kiddo himself was like, well, let's look up another, you know, option. So we started with something that still has flavor to it. That still has things that aren't maybe perfect for you, but it was a step in the right direction. So don't go from like zero to a hundred cold Turkey and expect, you know, him to be eating plain yogurt with absolutely nothing. And, you know, um, so we talked about that and then we talked about, okay, well, let's now transition into mixing yogurts. Um, let's mix some plain yogurt. It's not so bad if you mix it with the yogurt you like. And then we talked about, well, how do you, um, add, how do we just transition to just whole, plain, regular yogurt, nothing in it, but then we spice it up and we make it good. And then we can add more of those things that are good for you. Like maybe nuts and seeds and honey is sweet, but it's natural sweetener or a little bit of maple syrup, or, um, even like starting to add things initially, maybe that like a cereal into the yogurt that the kiddo likes, um, and then transitioning to those nuts and seeds and, and, you know, fancier things, but, um, always with the goal in mind of like, what is the goal for the parent to include in the, in the kiddo's diet or into their own diet, but how do we move that along slowly and how do we make it fun and how do we make it interesting? And believe it or not, lots of kids love to, especially the older ones, they love to look up stuff online, like they would ask me, well, why is this bad for me? And what do, you know, what can I eat? So they're interested. They want to learn those things. Um, but again, it's like, it, it takes little steps and you got to know what those little steps can be before you start to, before you go into someone's home and say, oh my gosh, you got to get rid of all the stuff in your fridge, all the stuff in your cabinets. Now go to the store and buy whole foods. Well, what in the world is whole foods, right? You know? So just a lot of education and a lot of just little teeny steps, because like I said, I didn't make, I didn't throw everything out of my house because then I would have had nothing to eat. You know, I 
slowly figured out how to do these things. And a lot of parents, they don't have time to cook and I get it. Um, you know, because I have my kiddo and it's hard with when you're working and you have kids at home and having to cook every single day. So there's also strategies for that, that I go through. Um, how do you, like I've gone grocery shopping with, with, um, some parents and kids and like, how do you kind of shop the perimeter? So shopping for fruits and vegetables, um, what can you make with those fruits and vegetables that will last and be hearty? Um, just kind of things like that. Um, constant support ideas for recipes. Um, and you can still have your favorite foods, just tweaking a few things here and there. You can still eat. And a lot of people say, well, if you put me on a diet or you are my health coach, everything I eat is going to be gross. But that's not true either. Cause there's lots and lots of options and you learn a lot about, um, the other thing I like to teach my families and kids about is, um, growing your own food. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, go get a garden, but lots of people have raised beds in their backyards. Um, or even I try like just herbs in the house, just little simple, tiny things. Cause it's cool for kids to see things grow or even taking them to a farm just to visit. Um, we have a small farmer's market that I think actually starts this month across the street from the building where I work in coffee Creek. And I will take a lot of the kids over there um, just to kind of see what kinds of vegetables are out there. A lot of them don't even know like, Hey, that's a radish and that's a turnip. And um, you know, what do those things taste like and um, how do they grow? Cause I think that people, kids are interested. They want to know how things happen and where their food comes from. So if you're throwing a plate in front of them, they may not want to eat that because they don't know what it is. They don't know what it came, where it came from, but if they actually do the work of seeing how something is grown, maybe they cultivate it. And it, like I said, it could be small, like an herb, um, like some dill or cilantro or something in a pot. And then they cut it up and they make it the way they want it in the shape that they want it. And, um, they might eat it. I had a lot of kids that parents are like, they won't get into in like five feet in front of a carrot. Um, and I'm like, well, they ate a carrot for me today. Well, how'd you get them to do that? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. they didn't love it and they didn't eat a lot of it. They just ate a teeny tiny bite, but that's like a huge thing to be able to get them to even taste what it tastes like. Cause lots of kids won't even taste it. It's not that they don't like the taste of it. They just refuse to put it in their mouth because they think it's healthy. And so it automatically is just gross. Um, so I believe I, again, went on a tangent, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all really um, good information though. Um, and I, I think it's amazing that you really work hard to like meet people like kids and families, right. Where they're at, um, you engage them in a way that is not intimidating. You're not trying to just come in and overhaul their whole lives. Right. Um, because there is the need to develop that trust early on, or because if, I don't know about you, but anytime anybody comes at me with like this whole new rule book of things that I'm, I need to do because everything else I was doing before is wrong. Like that's never going to sit well with anybody. I don't know that that would be inspiring to anybody under any circumstances, under any topic. So um, I think that helping families and kids become comfortable with your approach 
is so key to you gaining trust and success with them um, and involving them like you are too. Because I think that's the other thing is like, you know, I've heard before that um, that idea that kids really need two things every day. They need attention and they need power and giving them both. And especially that power to be part of what's on their plates every day, I think is really key for setting them up for success. Power. I like that you said that word. I wrote down a note that said control, giving them power, giving them control, because like we were talking, if you're trying to stuff food and I know I've, I'm a health coach, I'm a feeding therapist, and now I have my own kid and I'm like, oh my gosh, sometimes it's so hard because, and I now understand even more as a mom um, that I will cook all the healthiest things. I will take all the time in the world and then I'll give it to my daughter and she either throws it on the floor to the dog or screams that she doesn't want to eat it. And I'm like ripping out my hair, like, but I just spent all this time making this for you. And now you're not going to eat. And not only are you not going to eat what I spent so hard co- time hard cooking, but now you're hungry. Now, what am I going to give you? You know, and now she's a little older and she starts screaming cookie. I want cookie. And I'm like, we don't have, co-, you know, so I'm trying to find my own balance of, yeah. I know I cannot control as soon as my daughter goes to school, I cannot control what she's going to want to share with her friends, what she's going to want when she goes to birthday parties, you know, what they're going to offer as snacks for school. So I myself am now currently going through learning that I need to release and let go because you can't make it perfect. It's not going to be perfect. And eating those little, you know, indulgence and sometimes it's okay. You know, nothing horrible is going to happen. It's just, like I said, lifestyle. And it's about what do you do on a daily basis? How do you feed your body on a daily basis as opposed to these little things? Um, and so even like some families will say, well, so you're telling me I can't ever eat gluten again, or I can't ever eat sugar. And I'm like, I'm not saying that you can go out with your friends and, you know, indulge once in a while. There's no issue with that. It's just, how do you feed your body daily? And how do you treat your body daily? And it's not about diet because, and this is another thing to go into if you wanted, but everybody's body is different. Everybody's body processes things differently. So what I might tell one person is not going to work for a different person because their body digests things very, very differently. And so it's not like, it's not just a diet. Like you're going to stay at fruits and vegetables and lean meats and that's all you can ever eat. No, because everybody digests things differently. Maybe a tomato is good for someone and a tomato is actually, you know, toxic for somebody else. You never know, even though it's a tomato and you assume that it's healthy. Um, so that's kind of why you have to also, I teach people to learn about their bodies. What are the reactions after you eat something? Something I tell a lot of patients is keep a food diary. This was something that was helpful to me in the beginning um, was keep a food diary, see how you feel after, after different foods. Again, it can be a lot of work and overwhelming to do these things. So it depends on who I give, what type of advice, but um going back to control for kids, I think that's like a huge and important thing is letting them be in control because a lot of times I struggle with that. I'm like, I know I put this on your plate. You don't know where it came from. You don't know what it's made out of. You don't know how it's prepared. So now I have my daughter stand. Um, we bought her one of those, I don't know, wooden chair things you can stand on um, by the counter. And she watches me 
and I bought her little knives. And so she watches me and she pretends to, you know, cut her own food while I'm preparing something. So she's watching and I'm commenting and she's commenting. She's like, you're cutting the carrots, you're putting them in the pan, you're whatever it is. Um, So she's watching me or my mom cook and do these things. And it's exposure too. it's not just like, here's a plate. Um, And so a lot of the kids that I have, they don't necessarily get that exposure. And again, I get that because time is hard, finding time to cook, finding time to show your kids how to cook. It's, it's really time consuming, but maybe even taking, I say like on the weekend, find one meal that you can do or have them make their own breakfast or have that, you know, something. Um, And what I do with the kids um, is we do a lot of experimenting. So with older kids, it's a lot about playing with senses. Um, It's a lot about using textures, colors, um, and just different ways to cook things. Like you can saute, you can fry, you can air fry, you can bake, you can um, eat it raw, you can cut it into circles, triangles, squares, spirals, whatever it is. And a lot of times I'll find that a kid will eat a triangle shaped cucumber as opposed to just someone chopping it up into circles. Maybe it's because they controlled the way they wanted to cut it. Maybe it's because it's just, I don't know, it t- texture wise, it tastes better that way. Who knows? But kids love to do that. And then they love to experiment with like, well, Hey, let's throw it in the toaster oven and see what happens. Or let's put a spice on it and see what happens. Um, and a lot of times it's just figuring out what it is, which way that kiddo wants to eat something. And I know I had a good example that I'd given you earlier about, um, kids in a smoothie. So I had had two kiddos that I was working with that are a little older and I had made, we had made a smoothie and we were trying to incorporate veggies into their diet. And so we were working on spinach, which they said didn't taste like much, but they didn't like the texture and avocado, which didn't taste like much, but they didn't like the texture. So I said, okay, well, in order for you not to taste the texture, let's throw it in a blender and mix it up with other things you like. So we did. And the smoothie turned out green and they, it was a struggle to get them to even like stick their tongue into it to try a little bit. Um, and then the next week that I saw them, I had put in a bunch of blueberries, more blueberries so that the same ingredients, um, but I just put more so that the drink would turn purple or blue and they love blueberries. So they drank the whole thing and they were like, that was delicious. And I said, you know, that had avocados and, and spinach in it. and I had the same exact ingredients. I just put a little bit more blueberries to change the color. They didn't believe me. So then we redid the whole thing and then they were much more willing to try it. And they were like, well, that's great. And so their parents, maybe like a few weeks later, are like, well, now we incorporate spinach and avocado into, you know, weekend morning smoothies. So now we have two vegetables that they were unwilling to try because they thought, well, they're green and they're gross. And so in our brain, that's an automatic X, like no way, not touching that stuff. Um, and they don't, you don't have to eat you know, spinach raw, it's it or you know, in a salad, you can throw it into a smoothie. Same nutrition, you're just changing the texture of it or changing what it looks like. And so mentally, it's not you know making them panic. Um, yeah. And so, just yeah. little things like that. Yeah, that's so true. Perception is everything, you know? I mean, I've often told people that before too. It's like, if somebody comes to me and says, I don't like avocado or I don't like mushrooms, 
um, or even my personal um, aversion to beets. I will argue with you that you just haven't had it in the way that is suitable for you. Um, because while I will not eat a raw beet or a pickled beet or a roasted beet, I will juice a beet um, and have it have it that way. Um, and people that are firm on the fact that they do not like avocado, your smoothie is a great example. I've made things like key lime ice cream before out of avocados mm -hmm. and people are amazed that they're eating avocado. So yeah, truly the perception is everything and exposing them to the possibilities of the simple things that are around them that can be transformed into their way of enjoying it is so key to just setting them up for success for their whole life. Absolutely. I agree. And the other thing I want to mention is I've been talking more about older kids, but with younger kids, you know, even starting, I, I do feeding therapy with one, two-year-olds, all about play. All again, like you said, all about control, all about play and not about, you have to put that food in your mouth and eat it, but it's just about touch it, smell it, lick it, taste it, spit it out. I don't care. Um, play a game with it, whatever it is. I know people say, don't, you know, don't play with your food, but I say, play with your food, get messy. Yes. Um, because that's the best way to be able to expose them to all of these things too, because putting it in your mouth, especially if a small kiddo had a traumatic experience of maybe choking or a hospital stay or something, they're protecting themselves. They're protecting. And so it's, it may be too much in a sensory way. It may be that there's just protection. It may be lots of things. And so no pressure is play. So playing yeah. with different kinds of things is, um, and you can even start with, you know, babies. I remember I just threw some natural speaking of beets, I use beet juice and I threw it in yogurt, mixed it up. It turned pink and had my baby play with it and get messy yeah. and dirty. And so lots of different ways yeah. that I guess my goal is to teach parents how to also, it can be very, and now I know it can be very emotionally difficult for parents to be able to deal with it. And then they, you know, then that transfers to the kiddo and then the kiddo is going to be even more resistant um, to wanting to eat in mealtimes become just a big disaster. Um, and I've experienced it myself and my husband's like, but you know, you do this as a profession. Why are you getting so emotionally involved? And it's like, well, when it's not your own kid, it's a lot easier to get them to do things and not get emotionally involved when it is your own kid and you go home and you have to do this three times a day or with little kids, five times a day, you know, it could be very, um, it could be difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to talk to you more about the emotional attitudes towards food in general. Um, I'm sure there's a difference between little kids and bigger kids in regards to this, but I'm curious about, for one, like how you would actually define that and what that actually means, emotional attitude towards food. I think if I were to default that thought, it would gravitate towards eating disorders. Um, but I know that it's more than that. And I'd like to understand it better, if I may. Yeah, so I don't necessarily work with eating disorders per se, like anorexia or bulimia, or if those are the types of, of disorders that you're thinking of, 
it's more because of the population I work with. It's kiddos who have um, autism, maybe sensory processing issues, um, sensory aversions, picky eating. There are kiddos I don't work with in the clinic now, but I did in the hospital in the past um, that had to be had a tracheotomy. So they have to be fed through a feeding tube and they haven't eaten by mouth in a long time. And if you think about it, if you don't go and exercise at the gym and lift weights, your uh, muscles atrophy. So they're, if you're not swallowing every single, a million times a day, cause that's what we do automatically. We don't think about it. Um, you atrophy. And so even like, or you're not used to like a sense in your mouth, if you've never tasted I don't know, something super spicy and someone puts a hot pepper in your mouth, you're going to react like crazy to that. So the more along those lines um, of what I consider feeding therapy um, in my practice. And what was the other question that you? Well, it's just interesting to me, to be honest with you, I hadn't really considered the term feeding therapy prior to having a conversation with you uh, recently leading up to this podcast uh, discussion. And it's just curious me, um, just, you know, you described a lot of it just then and, and what it means with getting people to actually use those muscles again, to be able to swallow, to be able to accept the textures and the way it feels to move food into our body in that way. Um, but also I feel like we talked about helping heal food wounds and helping them understand that food is not a threat. So I do have, and I, with, I always kind of, um, separate little kiddos with older kiddos because older kiddos, I try to do a little bit more mental processing as well. Like talking about, well, what is it you don't like? And we really break it down, um, as to, why don't you like, and usually kids will come in with like, it'll depend, I guess it, it, it's always different, but it could be like the typical, I don't eat vegetables because vegetables are gross and I'm done with that. Or it could be a, like I said, like a sensory aversion, or it could be a muscle weakness where they just don't have enough strength to chew something like meat. And then their families are like, well, why won't you eat a steak or a chicken? Well, it's hard. And have to, it's very fibrous. So it's something that you have to have muscle strength to be able to chew. You have to have all your teeth in there, all your molars to chew. You have to be able to move that food using your tongue back and forth. You have to be able to create it into a bolus. You have to be able to propel it backwards and swallow. So there's lots of steps. We do this very automatically. We don't think about it, but if you have trouble with, there's a breakdown in any part of that process, um, which clinically is called dysphagia and you can have different kinds of dysphagia. Um, it could be very scary because if you think about it, if you can't chew a piece of something, anything well, and it's going down whole and it goes in the wrong way, then you have, you know, you're trying to again, protect yourself because you might choke or you might cough or it might come up or you might vomit once. And then it's a negative emotional response to that food because it made you vomit. Um, but it may not have made you vomit because of the taste or because it was moldy. It may have made you vomit because you didn't chew it properly because you can't. Um, so there's just kind of a lot of different variations of what could be going on and what can happen. And it could be emotionally 
triggering. And I guess the easiest way to understand is say you went to a restaurant, you got some sort of, um, you know, you got sick from, from one of the foods and say you were like, oh, it was the shrimp. The shrimp was bad that night. You know, I'm never eating shrimp again because I spent all night vomiting. So I kind of, and then you don't eat, you, maybe you never eat shrimp again. Maybe you don't eat it for months. And then you're like, okay, fine. Because you had that mental and emotional connection to like, that's what made me super sick. I don't want to get sick again. So I'm not going to have that food. And a lot of times with kids, they just exclude whole groups of foods. Um, because of whatever reaction they had to it. Sometimes it's just, like I said, it's um, hard for them because they don't have that muscle strength um, or ability to move that food around appropriately. So then we work on those things. We work on massages. We work on different um, exercises for that. Um, Sometimes it's just sensory, like kids have different sensory things and they just don't like the taste or the texture or the color of I, funny enough, I had a roommate when I lived in New York who didn't like to eat anything white. And she was in her thirties, like no mayonnaise, no yogurt, no ice cream. I'm like, that's really odd. Why? I can't remember why she told me, but there was a reason for why. Um, so people have, you know, different, different reasons for, for why. Um, but I, and then with little kids, you're not going to sit and talk about, well, why don't you like this? That's why we do that play. So like, what is it? where is that breakdown? If we're touching it and it's okay to touch it for you, well then let's, you know, put it on our faces now and get it closer to our mouth. Well, if that's okay, you know, then let's try to put it on our lips and maybe do something silly and lick it off. And now we're tasting it. Well, is it the taste? Is it, you know, again, it's those senses and, um, and with little kids, it's a little bit harder because they can't quite tell you what it is that, they don't like about it, but it's also easier because sometimes when you're just playing, they don't notice that they're putting, starting to put things in their mouth and eat it because they're not thinking about it. They're thinking about how fun, how much fun they're having. Um, so it, it can be, a I, I don't know if I broke that down the way you were looking for, but it, it's, that's kind of how, I guess that's the best way I can explain it. That was a great description. It was really informative, and I think it was on point with what I was asking. Um, I know, too, you've talked about how you work with other therapists to sort of um, collectively help kids reach their goals, um, working through their food traumas. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how you're collaborating with other providers in the region? Yes. So. In my clinic in general, um, both speech therapists and occupational therapists work with feeding therapy. Um, so, and not just feeding therapy, but since we're on that topic, but essentially I collaborate on pretty much anything. If I'm doing speech or language or cognition or processing or anything, I'm constantly trying to collaborate with occupational therapists, physical therapists. And the reason is, um, aside from the fact that they have a different education and perspective, but maybe the goal is similar, um, we can help each other out. So um, positioning, like I didn't mention this, so thank you for reminding me, is really important. The way that your posture, the way that you sit, if your feet have to be touching the floor for um, 
you know, to kind of get that stability, your core has to be able to be up. You can't be all hunched over and, um, and trying to get food down, you know, down your throat. So breathing, all of these things kind of that, um, are more of a perspective from maybe an OT or a PT, all of that stuff is super, super important. Like where does your kid eat? Where do they sit? Um, all those things also, you know, do they have a mealtime routine? All of those things are also super important and play into um, the whole therapy aspect. It's not just when you get to the food, it's all the prep before you get to the food and all the prep after. I mean, all of the kind of tying it up with a nice bow after you're done eating. But um, so that's how I collaborate in clinic. We sometimes will do therapy sessions together where I'll work on, you know, having kiddos request things and that helps them to use their language um, and speech skills and the occupational therapist will be doing having them do exercises following directions like there's a lot of overlap um, between therapists in the clinic Uh, and it's really awesome and useful because every time I work with somebody I learn something you know we learn something new from each other Um, and I think it really benefits the kiddo because they're getting it they're getting therapy from all angles and all aspects, but um, I have also tried to, and this is another thing I felt like I was lacking. And so I was like, okay, my husband said, do it yourself. So I'm going to do it (laughs) myself. So I started this clinic. I don't think I finished that thought way back in the beginning of our conversation, Um, you know, right before the pandemic hit and well, rather I bought the building and then I was going to, you know, in my head, I was going to create all this great stuff and then the pandemic hit. And so I couldn't really do much. And um, then once I got the, you know, I got everything going, the pandemic had started to slowly kind of wind down. However, people were still fearful of coming in. Um, And so I was kind of, I was the only therapist I couldn't, it's very hard to find pediatric therapists in this area too. There's a very big deficit, which is another reason I started this clinic is because so many places have huge wait lists. Um, and by huge, I mean like eight to 12 months, which I find really devastating for young kids that are one, two, three years old to have to wait that long. Cause that's such a long time and you're doing nothing for them. You're, they're not, and that's the prime time to gain all of these skills, right. When they're making all their brain connections. Um, and so that's why that piece was important to me is to provide an additional place that families can come for therapy. But I felt very alone because I was used to collaborating, like I had said, with other therapists in the area. And, um, so slowly I started to find these therapists. Um, and so I'm very lucky because I have an awesome team of therapists and, and, um, they're fantastic. But then also being, I mean, we've been here for five years now, so I can't say I'm new to the area, but I want to say like professionally, I'm new to owning a business, running a business um, and to the area. And during the pandemic, um, when people weren't coming and I couldn't go door to door, introduce myself to people, you know, which I feel like in a smaller community is word of mouth is the best way. And just kind of going out and meeting people. I um, didn't have a, any really connections or referrals or anything. And so when I was referring, if my 
my patient said, well, what's a good dentist to send to take my kiddo to? Because, you know, he has a really hard time and like freaks out when we go to our dentist. I didn't have a good place to send them. And that's just one example. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I need to find people that I can connect with, that I can learn from, that can learn from me and where we can create a referral system within each other. And I'm confident that I'm sending them to the best person. Um, and then we can then communicate back and forth about this kiddo. Whereas I don't just like send them somewhere and then I'm done and I never know what happens. Um, and so I created something called North, uh, let me think of the name. <laughs> it's kind of new. Pediatric Therapy Professionals of Northwest Indiana is I believe what I call it. And so it's just any, it's free, it's open to any pediatric professionals in the area. And we have people from lactation consultants to speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, chiropractors, dentists, um, I don't know, you name mental health professionals. I've had a lot of people come through the door and it started with um, like a lot of things I've tried that have flopped. I thought maybe this isn't going to work, but it started with about 10 people who I knew um, and then they loved it. So they started inviting people that they've worked with. And, um, you know, those people have started inviting people they work with or they know in the community. And so that's kind of how it's grown. So it's not quite huge yet, but the goal is to continue to grow it because now we have an inter-referral source and it doesn't have to be just one, you know, of those professionals. It can be 10 different lactation consultants and we'll refer to all of them and we'll collaborate all together. It's not a competition. It's more of how do we get more resources out into the community for families and people. Um, and so what we do is we have, we hold meetings at my place and Recently, we've had really interesting presentations. Um, there was a dentist, Annie Babb, who presented, and she presented on things that I was like, well, I never knew that that would be connected to speech and development. You know, we had a lactation consultant present, which is very important for feeding in the very beginning um, of life. And so it's just, it's a great community because I also see like people just like me, they crave to be able to be around other professionals and be on the same page and talk to each other. And so sometimes I'm like, all right, guys, it's time to get out. <laughs> We've been here for like four hours, but it's so nice to be able to know, to see that community of professionals wanting to help other people. And how do we do that? And how, and, you know, maybe learning about what's lacking in their profession um, that maybe we can help with what's lacking in our profession that maybe they can help with what a parent patients or, you know, want that I may not know about because people aren't, you know, coming to me. So I don't know. So really just trying to figure out what is it, how do we work together collaboratively to help other families? Yeah, that is just such an amazing community that you're creating. And just like anything else, whether it's with our kiddos or with ourselves, you know, it does take a village for sure. We're not supposed to know how to do everything ourselves, uh, nor should we try um, for our own mental well-being. So um, that's exciting that you're creating that community. I want to circle back for a minute to, we talked a little bit in the beginning of our conversation about the infertility that a lot of families face, um, women particularly. And I wanted to ask you about what your what your opinion is on 
the way that we connect with ourselves as individuals, the way that we internalize who we are spiritually, and I don't necessarily mean based on religion or church or anything like that, but how we how we connect spiritually with ourselves, with who we are as humans. I've read before about how if you are severely disconnected with who you are and, and your heart and your soul, that plays a key factor in infertility. Do you have, do you have any input on that? So maybe, <laughs> um, I think that's, it's, that's really actually a, a challenging question for me that I still try to figure out how to connect with myself. Um, but I do know that it definitely plays a role and, um, it's hard. I think it's really hard to be able to connect with yourself because you're we're we don't realize how busy we are in our daily lives between if we do or don't, you know, if we do have kids between the, the kids, um, but if we don't, then work and stress from relationships, stress, you know, I'm not just saying relationships, whether it's a boyfriend or a husband, but family, other family members taking, you know, being a caregiver to somebody else, um, friendships, like for me, I'm a very social person, it was really hard to move somewhere where I didn't have any friends. Um, so that was really, really difficult on me. Um, but I think that just everyday life, we get so caught up in everything and we um, don't really take the time to be able to sit with ourselves. And I'm super guilty of it still, even though I know I need to do it um, and that it's good for me. It's always for me, an excuse of, I don't have the time. Um, and so, so yes, I think that, and that creates, you know, you're not stopping to think about yourself. You're not stopping to just think about, um, I guess life in general, your surroundings, you know, even just, I'm sitting here and I'm looking outside at, at the trees. I'm like, I never stopped to really think to look at the trees or smell the fresh air or, you know, enjoy something because I'm constantly thinking about other things in my brain. I'm constantly on the go. Um, it creates kind of an unstableness and it creates, like I said, for me personally, a lot of anxiety when you're constantly go, 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 which all of that, I feel like creates negative energy in our bodies. And so that can definitely be a block in getting in fertility, getting pregnant. I know for me, it was just this constant um, loop of, I can't get pregnant. There's something wrong with me. It was driving my husband crazy. So then our relationship was, you know, stressful also, you know, because he has a very different personality and he's like, hey, it didn't happen this month. It'll happen next month. I'm like, it's been two years, you know, like, what am I supposed to? So I feel like it not, being kind of balanced in your own self can create havoc everywhere else. Um, so I do, I think it's extremely difficult. I think when somebody says, well, just meditate, um, well, what in the world does that even mean? Or just take time for yourself. Well, what does that mean? So I think it also manifests differently for everybody. Um, so taking time for yourself um, could mean just picking up a book and reading in silence and not, 
you know, being bothered, maybe it could be meditating and meditating could be just taking a walk in the park, you know, you know, and, and maybe listening to the birds and observing the, there's a a type of meditation. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's where you're just kind of using your senses to observe what's around you and you're being more present in the moment. So I don't think a lot of us are very present in the moment because we're just, like I said, so wrapped up in, in life. Um, and so being out in nature, being, I think just doing all of those things to help maybe taking a bath, you know, I don't remember the last time I took a bath and I think about how, like, how great that would be to just disconnect, stop thinking, sit in the bathtub and relax for even like 10 minutes. Um, so it can, I feel like being centered and present and um, connecting with yourself can mean something very, very different to every person. So there's not one definition, just like the whole food diet. It's, it's what do you want? What's important to you, but stopping to figure out what that is. And I think that that's the hard part is, and like I said, I still haven't, do I enjoy to be in nature? Yes. But um, does my mind stop running when I'm there? No, I keep thinking about all the things that I have to do when I get back, you know, from my walk. So it's a really hard balance. I think it's a really hard thing to do, but I definitely think that if we could be more aware and present and just kind of take time to be with ourselves, just us internally. And I feel like sometimes we don't even know who we are, right? Like it sounds silly, but sometimes I think about it. I'm like, I don't know who, who am I? What do I like? What I just feel like I'm just kind of surviving. Um, so, and, and in that sense, the other idea of my, I had a lot of ideas for this, um, for this clinic, but another idea, this thought leads me to is that not only did I want to develop a group um, for professionals, but I really want this place to be, and hopefully eventually it can be, um, a community for, for everybody, for moms, for parents, for families, for dads, it doesn't matter who. So some of the things that I started hosting um, that, um, that have evolved are um, music classes for kids and yoga classes for kids. And so it's and I want to include a lot of other things um, that I'll get to in just a second, but those two things have really come along. And what I notice is it's not just fun for the kids, but it's the parents. It's that connection. You see them like wanting to connect because they stay after to talk. And I'm the same way. I, again, I don't have a lot of friends with young kids because I'm a little bit older. And so when I take my kiddo to a music class. Um, again, something that I wanted that didn't exist. So I created it. Um, but I've met some great parents there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been an hour. I'm still here talking. Class has been over. My kid's crying. They want to go home and take a nap, but I really want, you know, that connection. And so it's nice to see parents, um, be able to connect and kind of, so that, um, essentially just creating community, um, and, and I would love to be able to hear what other parents want. You know, like I have, like I said, I have all these things that I said I created because I wanted it and I, I didn't have it. Um, did I create everything I want? Absolutely not. But do I want to know what other parents wish they had? And could it be possible to host in the space? Absolutely. Um, I would just love, you know, to get feedback from what do 
parents really need? What do parents really want? Because I know a lot of times it could also be really hard to get out with your kid. Like I always say, I want to get out and take her to gymnastics and swimming. And, but I just, some days can't even get out the door, Um, you know? And so it's, again, it's about what yourself, finding yourself, what's important for you, what's important for your kiddo, what's important for the, you know, and what kind of community and going back to fertility, I would, another goal is to start um, some sort of support group where it, you know, we include fertility, because like I said, I had to travel to Chicago to get certain things. And I did find some great resources here for acupuncture and things like that. But I didn't really find the support where I could talk to somebody, um, or just feel like I'm not alone um, to other women. So I would, you know, I would be very willing to start something like that. Um, something for prenatal when I did, thank goodness, get pregnant, you know, I had no idea what changes my body was going to go through. And, um, and so it was, it was, you know, lonely because I'm like, what's happening and who do I ask? And is this normal? Am I supposed to be leaking here? And, you know, is this supposed to be turning this color? So, you know, all those things you go through. And so that connection again, and then postpartum, like, what do I do with this baby? And, and then the hormones and the emotions of like, well, I wanted to get pregnant for three years. Why am I sad right now? I have a baby in front of me, but I'm still sad, you know? And so that um, postpartum and, you know, I want to go to the bathroom, but, and I want to take a shower, but I can't, cause I have an infant, you know, all of these things, yeah. like how do you deal with all those things? And so just kind of that continuum um, is essentially the goal in creating community. I love your vision on where all of this could potentially be going and just your inclusion of parents, not just other providers as well. And it's the struggle is so real on everything that you're talking about. And it is incredibly easy to feel alone at all the different stages. I've said it before about, um, you know, they hand you your, your baby after they've recently, uh, exited your body and you're just expected to know, to know what to do and, and how to, you know, feel about it and not have complications with it. And nobody checks to make sure that <laughs> everything's going okay. So the struggle is absolutely real. I can relate to that so much. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to have a, you know, support system around you, my gosh, embrace it, hang on to it, never let it go and then share it with other people. Right. So that we can expand that reach of not feeling alone. Um, Gosh, I, I just love what you've done so far. I love what you're continuing to create. And I feel like we could have multiple conversations in this space to share all the other things that we didn't get a chance to talk about to uh, talk about today. I know that, um, there's other, you know, things that you offer and, and other ideas that you're excited about. And I'm excited about them too. Um, in the interest in though remaining uh, relevant in today's space, I want to give you the chance to tell us what you want all of us to, to take away from today's conversation, particularly, I'm going to definitely invite you back and beg you to come back to talk on more (laughs) of these things in the future. But in regards to today's conversation, what would you like us leave? What would you like us to leave thinking about today? Hmm, that's a good question. I think just um, 
like I said, for me, um, the whole culminating experience of starting a clinic, the whole getting pregnant, um, struggle, you know, all of this moving to a new place, trying to find, I think the whole idea for me, if I step back is, um, community. So I really think of, um, thinking, you know, it's important to have community in order to be able to get the resources you need in order to be able to make the changes, ask the questions, get the knowledge. Um, even you had asked, you know, how do you, how do you take care of yourself? How do you be with yourself? Even that I feel like talking to, you know, and maybe it's not for everybody. I know everyone's personality is different, but for me, I feel like if I talk through something with somebody or if I meet someone that has a very similar um, experience, whether it's with fertility or it's with like my kids driving me nuts and screaming, you know, and someone else tells me the same thing. I'm like, Oh, thank God. I'm not the only one. It makes me feel better. Um, so I think just creating, thinking about what kind of community do you want, um, you know, for yourself, for your family. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess just how do we create community to be able to fulfill and fill our cup and our lives, I think is just, a is important if I kind of look at the big picture. Yeah. I think, you know, you're definitely an inspiration in somebody who has seen what is lacking, seen a problem and then pursued the solutions. Um, tell us where we can find you and how we can stay connected with you. Yes. So if you physically, well, not right now, cause I'm on maternity leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yay, but, um, physically my building is in uh, coffee Creek and it, if you would like me to, I can give you the address or I can just give you the name, however specific you'd like me to be. Um, well, all of the ways to stay connected will for sure be in the show notes, but tell it, where is Coffee Creek? Okay. So those of us that don't know. So it's in Chesterton, um, right off of 49. It's a really awesome watershed preserve, actually. So there's, if you do need a walk or, you know, a meditative walk, there's lots of nature. I can't remember how many acres, but lots of acres. There's a huge pavilion waterfall. There's actually summer events and concerts there. Um, but we are... Um, just a little bit north of north of it of the pavilion and right across the street from a large parking lot where every Wednesday there is a coffee coffee Creek farmers market, um, which is really, really awesome as well. Cause that um, also is a great, you know, it's a uh, creates community. There's lots of people that come out from Chesterton or Valpo or wherever, and you know, the same people are there and the same vendors are there. So it's kind of cool. It's a nice community um, feel. And, um, so that's where our building is and it's called rhythm and beats. So, and like the letter N is in Nancy and then beats like the food, which I know you said, you're not a fan of, but <laughs> I was, I was dying slowly inside. Cause that's my favorite. Oh, food. <laughs> I'm learning to love it. You know, I've really gotten into juicing in the last several oh. months and I, I will juice the heck out of a beat all the time. So that's, that's the way I I enjoy it. (laughs) Doesn't matter how you have it, you know, as long as you can enjoy it. Um, It's definitely good for your health, but, um, but anyway, and so then I also, if you um, visit uh, at rhythm and beats center um, on Facebook or Instagram, 
you can find us there or our website is rhythmandbeats.com. Um, I just revamped the whole website. So that's up and running. Um, and you can always reach out to me by phone. I am always available, whether I'm in the clinic or at home, I'm constantly available. So, and if you have questions, I love ideas, thoughts, like I like to make things happen if I can. And um, so, yeah, reach out to me. That's awesome, Yana. Thank you so much. And I will absolutely look forward to future collaborations with you um, in one way or another. And I just thank you again for what you brought to our region of the world, Northwest Indiana. And I thank you again for sharing some of that today in conversation with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really excited when you reached out. I was like, I've never been on a podcast. No one's ever asked me that. Sure. So it's been really great to be able to kind of share my passions with, um, with you and hopefully yeah. with whoever is going to be listening. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited to know that you are around and are reachable and, um, you're offering a lot of exciting things that I know a lot of people in, in my circle are interested in. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's been a great conversation and I'm excited to share it. Enjoy the Thank rest you. of your maternity leave. Thank you so much. Well, it's only, I got a week and a half and then, um, and then baby. So, yeah. Yeah. So about to get busier. Um, I'm glad that you have a small close knit village that you can reach out to. Uh, Absolutely. I am lucky. If you need to. Yeah. So, uh, we will look forward to sharing our talk and helping others know where they can get those resources too. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you.